0: Amen. Go ahead and be seated if you would and get ready to uh, to take your Bible. In just a few minutes, we're going to open up our Bibles and begin our Bible study. And let me welcome you again to Journey Church International. This is the second Sunday of our second year, Sunday number 54 on the calendar of our existence. And we are glad that you are here with us today. You know, as we began to evaluate year two, uh, we looked back at year one and, and said, you know, hey, in year one, not what do we do well and what did we not do so well but we said this what did we set out to do in year 1 and did we accomplish it did we prove that we can be a church that lives on purpose and i want to share some values with you you can jot these down you cannot jot these down i don't know that they're going to do anything for you spiritually other than i want you to understand this brand new series that we're starting and why uh, but about a year before we began our church uh, i was working with a a church planning network out of Atlanta named the launch network and I did a bunch of virtual calls with them. And we had to define as a church what our values were going to be. You know, that, that's kind of a hard thing to, to wrap your mind around. When someone says, you know, what are, what are the values of your church going to be? You know, we came up with lists of 20 and then down to 15 and then down to 10. Uh, and, and one of my mentors said to me, Christian, your, your values are this. Your values are if after a year you had a church of a 1,000, but you weren't doing any of these things, You would quit and go do something else because it didn't matter. So your values are your heartbeat. Your values are your mission uh, Your mission played out. Your values are the the existence of your culture. So before the church started, six months before the church started, we said that our church was going to have four things that we valued. And if we couldn't do these four things, then we just weren't going to go do church. We'd do something else. The first one was generosity. These aren't going to be on a screen. You can write them down. You cannot write them down. But we said our church is going to exist to be generous. And we're going to give to people who are in need locally, Uh, downtown Kansas City, uh, nationally and around the world. And we look at year one and we say, you know what, in in year one our church was generous. As I told you last week, in the first year of our church, uh, our church has given away $62,700 to global missions, to people here in Lee Summit, to church planning institutions. I mean, we we said we're going to exist to give back and be generous, and we've done that. Another one of our values was radical appreciation. Uh, The most important people at this church are really not the people you see on the stage. They're the people behind the scenes. That the people to get here at a quarter till seven and set up, and we said we are not just going to appreciate our volunteers; we're going to radically appreciate our volunteers. And every Sunday morning, we feed our volunteers a hot breakfast who are here all day long. And we do, like, in my opinion, the world's greatest church Christmas party at Christmas time. And uh, we did this year; we rented out all of Paradise Park, and I mean, gave away thousands and thousands and thousands of tokens. And we said, you know, we, we called it our Volunteer Family Carnival. And, and we said, we can't say thank you enough to people who serve, whether they're rocking babies, setting up pipe and drapes, setting up sound and lights. We want to radically appreciate, we want people who serve at our church to think that they've never been appreciated so well in their entire lives. And I think we've done a good job of that. Uh, one of our values was simplicity. We said, we're going to be a church that exists to reach busy people who really need to have a pretty simple structure for how to engage in a church and grow spiritually. They don't have time to be at church four, five, six times a week, like like maybe I grew up going to church, you grew up going to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Thursday morning, men's deal, Tuesday afternoon, women's deal. People are busy. So we said, let's create a church that operates on a pretty simple schedule where people can, with with not a huge time commitment, they can plug into church, they can plug into a small group, they can plug into serving, and they can begin to grow. And then our fourth value was spiritual growth. And if you look at the first three, you can look at the first three and tangibly say, we did those. We actually accomplished what we set out to do. But if you were to ask me, Christian, are the people in your church growing spiritually? Because you said when you set out to build a church that if if you build a church where people weren't growing spiritually, that it would be better to quit than to have a church filled with people who weren't growing spiritually. Are people growing spiritually? My answer was, I hope so. Now, certainly we have people who are far from God. Our mission statement, we exist to see people who are far from God become passionate Christians that make a difference in the world. We've had 159 people make decisions in the first 53 Sundays of our church to give their life to Jesus or to rededicate. So certainly we've had people moving spiritually. But are people consistently growing spiritually? I hope so. But because I don't know so, I've decided for the next four weeks, not only for myself to figure this out, but to give you a gauge to figure out where you are, where you need to go, and what you need to do to get there. Say, Christian, is it a big deal to be at a church but to not grow spiritually? Like, can I just come to church? I don't think so. We've got a problem in the church world today. Uh, I was at a leadership conference a few weeks ago in, at a church called New Spring in Anderson, South Carolina, and a pastor by the name of James McDonald, who's just written a great book called Vertical Church, uh, gave the pastors at that conference, 2,000 pastors, uh, what he referred to as the uh-oh spiritual growth facts of American Christianity. And here's the truth about, well, you know, can I just come to church and not grow spiritually? Here's why it's important for us to be moving forward spiritually, not just coming to church. According to the latest statistics, do you know that 6,000 churches close their doors in the United States every year? They shut their doors, they quit having church, they literally, they, they decorporate and they're gone. 6,000 churches every year in the United States. Dozens in our city alone. You can drive around and see church buildings for sale. 6,000 churches every year in the United States. Just quit having church. 3,500 Americans. I need you to listen to this. Leave the church every day. More than a million people who were raised in church or who have been in church, more than a million people every year decide never to go back to church. Because maybe too much was asked of them. Maybe they had a bad experience. I don't know. Only they can know. But I'm sure all of us have friends and family who are in this 1.3 million that they've just kind of walked away. Maybe they still love God, but they sure do hate his church. 85% of U.S. churches are in decline. The ones that haven't shut, the ones that still have people in them. 85 out of 100 churches in Kansas City, according to this statistic, have less people this year than they had last year. So they're on a gradual decline down. Do you know that Christianity is the only major world religion not growing in the United States of America? It's the only one declining. Christianity every year has less and less and less people. So is it important for you to grow spiritually? I think the answer is yes. You know, in Isaiah chapter 64, uh, verse 1, I won't ask you to turn there, but you, you should note this verse on the top of your sermon notes that we gave you. Take that pen and just jot down Isaiah 64, 1. Isaiah lived in Israel at a similar time where, where things were just kind of going bad. They were, they were spiraling downward spiritually. And here's what Isaiah said in Isaiah 64.1. He said, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. I, Isaiah looked at the world around him that was declining spiritually, and here's what he cried. God, you've got to do something. Rend the heavens literally means, God, I want you to take the sky, and I want you to tear it in two so you can come down to earth And do something, because the world is broken spiritually. Now we can't fix the whole world, we can't change this entire community, but each one of us can look inside ourselves, and we can figure out: Are we growing spiritually, or are we part of these uh uh-oh spiritual growth facts? And eventually, we'll just be one of the million that left. We'll be one that used to go to one of those six thousand churches, and we'll we'll hit it at Christmas. We'll hit it at Easter. We'll say a prayer over a family dinner, but God really won't be a part of our everyday lives. It's one of the values in our church that you move from where you are to where you need to be spiritually. That's why we named our church Journey, because we believe that everyone is on a journey. And all of us, from me to the the oldest to the youngest in this room, all of us this year in our church need to move from where we are one step closer to Jesus. Let me show you some things in Scripture that back up what I'm saying. Then for the next four weeks, we're going to study a series we're calling Spiritual Drought. We're going to look at four types of people and how they're growing spiritually and why they grow or, or grow and then quit or grow and, and then uh, just leave the church altogether and, and why some make it and just seem to keep growing and growing and growing spiritually. We're going to identify all those things. But first I want to read a couple of Bible verses too. If you have your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And our ushers are going to come down the aisle. And if you did not bring your Bible today, we want you to have a Bible in your hands. Um, if you forgot one, if you're brand new and you don't have a Bible, just wave And our ushers they will give you it. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, this one's yours. It's yours to keep. You can have it. Put your name in it. Take it home. Bring it back with you every week. If you just forgot yours, then uh, you can use this. Throw it on the table when you leave. But we, we've uh, been blessed to give away more than 300 Bibles on Sundays just like this to People who have checked out our church don't really have a copy of their own Bible, and they take it, and it, it kind of becomes God's word to them in their life. So uh, if you took one today and you need it, keep it. We're glad to give it to you. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we see an interesting letter uh, from a guy named Paul. Paul started a church in a city named Corinth. Uh, in about five years, between five and eight years after Paul started this church in Corinth, um, he sent one of his friends to Corinth and said, hey, go, go see how the church is doing. Uh, Paul pastored this church for 18 months before he left. I've been pastoring this church for a year. So it would be like me this year after Easter. Uh, you know, our church gets to whatever it will be at Easter and then me leaving. And seven years later, sending someone to say, hey, go check out Journey. See how it's doing. Um, see how the people are doing. And somebody coming back and said, hey, Christian, we went to church and man, a lot of the same people come in and. Stuff still looks good. And the music's still way too loud for anyone over 30. But, you know, they, you know it's, it's, it's kind of fun. And, you know, the new preacher doesn't wear tennis shoes as often as you do. You know, I mean, it's just, just a little update. Here's how things are going. But then saying this, but it, it doesn't appear that any of the people are really growing spiritually. Like they're still the exact same people spiritually that they were five years ago, seven years ago. Like they're, they're involved in church, but they're not growing spiritually. So Paul writes a letter and he addresses this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And here's what he says in verses 1 through 9. He says, brothers and sisters, Paul knows these people. He's led many of them to Christ. He's overseen their baptisms. He has been a part of what has gone on in their life spiritually. He says, brothers and sisters, I can't even address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you weren't ready for it. And indeed, you're still not ready. You're, for, for you're still worldly. For since there's jealousy and quarreling among you, are, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, are, are you not being mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos, and what is Paul? They're only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it, what's the word there? Say it, say it again. A little louder. Grow. Verse seven, so neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things. What's word there grow the one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they'll be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. But you, you were God's field. You were God's building. Paul says, listen, I'll be accountable for ministering to you and telling you about Jesus, but you will be accountable for how you grew. Are you growing? According to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the fact is this. Christians are supposed to grow. Christians are intended to grow. When you become a Christian, when you recommit your life, when you begin attending church, you should be spiritually closer to Jesus today than you were last week. Spiritually closer to Jesus this September 30th than you were last September 30th. And some of us have been in church our entire life. And we're not really growing. Nothing's changing. Nothing's changing. We're the same spiritually today as we were five years ago or seven years or ten years ago. Or maybe some of us are worse today than we were five years ago, seven years ago, ten years ago. One question I love to ask people is, is I want you to think back to a time in your life when you were at your spiritual peak. Think back when you were at your highest point ever spiritually. And I want you to rate that point in your life a ten. And then on a scale of one to ten, I want you to rate yourself now. Seems like nearly everyone is living a little below... Where they used to be and while we certainly can't exist on spiritual highs the bible says we shouldn't exist on spiritual lows Either paul says i'm going to be responsible for ministering to you You're going to be responsible for growing Christians need to grow so well, christian. Why don't christians grow? It's a good question And the bible very clearly tells us that answer why people don't grow Maybe you're in here today, and you don't even know why you're not growing But by the end of the month you will by the time we get through October, you'll be able to say, you know, this is where I am spiritually. This is why I'm not growing. And you'll also find out that this is where I am spiritually. And if I can get over this or this or this, then I can grow. It's my goal in this series that everyone in our church begin to grow spiritually. Uh, remember, we said the, uh, the, the year two goals of our church. Three things that I desire for every person in our church this year. That you have more passion in your life spiritually that you grow spiritually and that you begin to engage in Christian friendships. Those are the, if those are the only three things we accomplish this year. If our church doesn't grow by one person numerically, but everyone grows in their passion, their spiritual growth, and their Christian friendships, it will be a great year at this church. And this church will do more for Jesus this year than it did last year, I promise you. We say, Christian, why don't Christians grow? Why am I not growing? Why have I gone to church all my life and I still feel the same way? Good question. I got a good answer for you. If you have your Bible, go to Matthew chapter 13. And Matthew chapter 13 is where we're going to camp out all month long at Journey Church International. We're going to read it. Every Sunday, by the time we get done with it, you're going to be tired of hearing it. You're going going to be reading it in your sleep. You're going to wake up thinking about it. You're going to talk about it while you have meals. I mean, this is going to become the life of our church the next month. Matthew chapter 13 and one of the greatest ministry sermons, one of the greatest parables that Jesus ever gave. It's called the parable of the sower. And the parable of the sower identifies for us four types of people And basically how they are reacting and responding to God and what he's trying to do in their life. Now, there's a bunch of theology that we could dig into in Matthew 13, and I'm going to choose not to do that. Instead, we we want to stay practical. We want to stay on the surface. We just want to know who we are, how we move forward. And what we need to do. That's our goal this month. So Matthew chapter 13. We're going to read the first nine verses and then we'll skip down to verse 18. Uh, if you have your Bible or if you have your, your phone or your iPad or you're reading on the screen, here we go. Matthew chapter 13. It says, that same day Jesus went out of the house and he sat by a lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and he sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables saying, and I want to stop right here and let you know this. Jesus was a master storyteller. Jesus liked to tell stories more than he liked to give the Greek and the Hebrew participle of words in the Bible. I envision Jesus sitting in a boat. The people are waiting to listen. Jesus in the distance sees a farmer working in his field and says, Look, farmer, you all see the farmer? And he begins to relate what this farmer is doing to the spiritual needs of people. He's a master teacher who presents things so easily that everyone could remember. So Jesus, he says, a farmer went out to sow a seed. I believe there was a real farmer that he was looking at that day. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. And the birds came and they ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they didn't have any root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on the good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. Skip down to verse 18. Jesus and his disciples left, and his disciples, man, that was like an unbelievable message, but we have no idea what it means. Jesus says, all right, I'll tell you. Verse 18, he says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. He's in a back room now. Just he and his his twelve disciples are talking. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom, and they don't understand that the evil one comes and it snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since they have no roots, they last only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, that they quickly fall away. Verse 22, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choked the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed that falls on the good soil refers to someone who hears the word and he understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty or thirty times what was sown. Listen, I, I've got three goals in this teaching series for you this month. And I want you to jot them down. You're not going to have number one, two, three on the sermon notes but I want you to jot these down because these are important. Here, here are my goals for you in this series. Goal number one, I want you to identify. Goal number two, I want you to identify. And goal number three, I want you to, you say the word now? Identify. say, so, what do you mean, Christian? The, the, like, I don't know if you noticed it, but those are all the same word. Yeah, I, I got that. Um, here, here's what I need you to do in this series. I need you first and foremost to identify where you are spiritually. And you'll be able to do that by the time we get done, if you're, if you're here this month or if you can't make it, if you'll, if you'll watch online so that you can hear the spiritual characteristics of the path, the rocky soil, the thorny soil, the good soil. We're presented with four, really, we would say types of people, but really it's four types of hearts and why people respond the way they do or don't respond spiritually at all, or how long they respond, or why they quit responding. Jesus lays out a very nice scenario in verses 18 through 23, and he's like, here's how you can tell where people are spiritually. Just just watch these things. So I need you to identify where you are spiritually. I need you to identify where you need to go spiritually. Uh, and, and we're not trying to bump up one class. I don't want you to go from the path to the rocky soil, or the rocky soil to the thorny soil. I, I need everyone in our church to to become To begin working to become the good soil. I need us to be passionate and growing. I need us to establish Christian friendships. And then I need you to identify what you need to do to take your next step. And my goal is to help you identify those three things. Where am I? What does the good soil look like? How do I get there? And then it's your decision whether or not you want to go. Right? I mean, I'm going to fill the car up with gas. I'm gonna preset the GPS for you. I'm gonna turn it on and make sure the oil's changed and the tires are blown up. I mean, I'm gonna set the course for you spiritually. According to Matthew 13, I'm gonna read what Jesus tells us. But then I need you to get behind the wheel and go and drive there. So it's my hope. Man, man, we wanted a church that was generous and we, we, we have a church that's generous. We wanted a church that radically appreciated volunteers, and we have a church that radically appreciates volunteers. We wanted a church that was pretty simple and didn't burn people out, and we've done that for the most part, although we've learned every now and then we do a little too much. But we want a church filled with people who are growing spiritually. And only you can decide whether or not you're going to be a person, an individual in a church that's growing spiritually. In 2 Peter 3.18, I love what Peter says. These are some of the Apostle Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends. These are some of the last words that he ever wrote in his life before he was killed in Rome by a demonic emperor named Nero. Here's what Peter said to people. Grow in the grace and knowledge. Listen, here's my last message to you, man. Just keep growing spiritually. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to him, be glory both now and forever. Amen. Peter says, grow. Jesus says, grow. We're going to read later the Apostle Paul, if, like he did in 1 Corinthians 3, he's going to say, grow. If we would meet anyone who lived in New Testament times and say, what's important spiritually? They would say, grow. Grow spiritually. Move from where you are to closer to where God wants you. And, you know, I'm not talking about all of us becoming perfect overnight. There's not a person in here who will ever become perfect on this side of eternity. But one of my favorite preachers, his name's Rick Warren, I, I, I heard a quote from him, I don't know if it's his or if he stole it from someone else, but I heard him at a conference say, you know what, you may not be where you want to be, but as long as you're not where you used to be, you're headed in the right direction. That's where I'm hoping our church goes this month. We may not all be where we want to be, but as long as we get beyond where we used to be, we are growing. Say the word grow. That's what we're talking about this month, growing. Today we're going to talk about the path. We're going to talk about the people in here that have the spiritual characteristics of the path. You say, well, how do I know if I'm the path? Jesus tells us the spiritual characteristics of the path. He identifies it for us in verse 19. And here's what Jesus says in verse 19. How do I know if I'm the path? Because you have these spiritual characteristics. Matthew 13:19. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom, they don't understand it. The evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. Look at verse 4. Jesus gives us physical characteristics of the path. As he was scattering seed, some fell along the path. The birds came and they ate it up. The path is identified as this spiritually. This is someone who's not growing spiritually because of the condition of their heart. This is someone who the message of God, the ministry of the church, the prayers of family and friends. This is someone who nothing gets through because their heart is. And listen, I, I wanted, I, God spoke to me last night to use a more appropriate word for people who are the path right now. Because it's really easy to say people who are the path, they have a hard heart. I don't like that word. I felt like God spoke to me last night as I was going over my message. One says, Christian, the, the people who are the path, it's not that they have a hard heart. They have a hurt heart. They have a hurt heart. And because their heart is hurt, they have protected it to keep everything out. You know, the key thought of this series is why people aren't growing. And we're not saying that people are bad people. We're not saying people are bad Christians. We're not saying that people are immature Christians. What we're saying is that according to Matthew chapter 13, there are some people in your life and in my life, there are some people that live in your house, there are some people that you're married to, there are some people who are your parents, who are your kids, who are your co-workers, who are your neighbors, there are some people who have a very difficult time hearing and understanding and seeing the things of God, caring about the things of God, believing in the things of God, because their heart is hurt. And it's like that path, you know, how does the path become the path? Somebody walks all over it, with some people in our church, with some people in our community that have been walked all over, with some wives whose husbands have just treated them like garbage and vice versa. We have some young married couples that their, their older in-laws treat them like dirt and have just walked on and just destroyed them. We have some people in here that pastors or youth pastors or a deacon at a church, something went, something went wrong and you just feel like people have been walking all over you had a, me, a meeting this week with a lady who, who identified perfectly with this, and she wasn't able to be here today, so I, I kind of preached her my message because she wasn't going to be here. But she said, Christian, I feel like I have doorstop written on my, on my forehead because I just feel like people just walk over me, just, or doormat. I feel like I have the word doormat written across my forehead because everyone in my life just walks over me. H- how did the path get hardened? It got beat down. Probably, that I mean, they would purposefully, like we would lay a sidewalk, con- condense it, and make sure that the rain didn't penetrate it and that the horse's hoofs wouldn't penetrate it and the oxen wouldn't penetrate it. I mean, it was purposefully put down, beat down. It was ignored. When they tilled the rest of the soil, they left the path alone. So no one ever bothered to go see how it was doing or to gently turn it over or to see if there was anything good in it. It, it was ignored. I mean, you get the point. You get the point. The path is a hard hardened, beat down, walked upon, ignored, hurt place. And there are some people in here today. There's some people who are going to watch on the computer this week. There are some people in your lives, in your families, in your neighborhood, in your workplace. Their heart is the path. Their heart is hurt for, for one or more reasons. You know, it's important biblically that we understand what creates a path over our hearts so that those of us who are in here today can decide whether or not we're we're ever going to open up again you know here here's what i prayed today is as i was on our way to church this morning uh i prayed a weird prayer uh and i think my little daughter even in the back seat i think i heard her say ooh like as i was praying but I, but but here's what i prayed here here's what i feel like my role is one of my roles this morning i said lord let me gently pick the scab that's covering people's hearts today. Let me just real gently. Pick the scab. Allow it to bleed a little bit. So it can get healthy. Like have you, have you ever had a scab. From playing slow pitch softball. Or, or wrecking your bicycle. Or falling off. And you know it, just, it, like, it, it hurts so bad. But you play with it. And you pick at it all the time. And then one day you just count to three. And you pull with all your might. And you pick it and it bleeds. But then it starts getting healthy. That's my goal today. My goal today through this message is that maybe maybe we can just start peeling away at that scab, not so that we will cause you more pain, but so that healing can begin to come if you are the path. Because if you are the path, you are not growing spiritually. As a matter of fact, if you are the path, you cannot grow spiritually because your heart is closed for one reason or another. Now, the Bible gives us some, some good reasons, uh, not just excuses, but explanations for why some people have have a path over their heart. And and I could give you all kinds of scenarios, but I'm just going to talk to you straight from Bible verses today about what, what the Bible says creates hard hearts or a path over our heart. Number one, we're just going to get it right out in the open, bad religious experiences. Man, how many of us know someone who has, maybe maybe in their mind they say, I've given up on church, but in reality they've given up on God because of what the church has done to them. In Matthew 23, 4, Jesus spoke out against people who used religion to hurt people's hearts. And here's what Jesus said in Matthew 23, 4. He said, there are people who bind heavy burdens that are hard to bear. And they lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves won't move them with, with one of their fingers. He, uh, Jesus said, there are people who, in the name of religion, like they they, they hurt people spiritually. And listen, if you go to church long enough, this is going to be you. You're going to have a bad religious experience. And the, the prayer of my heart, when I, when I walked in today of a man in our church who was one of the original founding five families that, that started praying for this thing in January 2011, is a friend that he's been inviting, inviting to church for over a year, who finally came last week. Why hasn't he been church? They, they had a very bad religious experience and they have turned everything off spiritually. They're just, they don't want anything to do with God. They don't want anything to do with church. He had a bad religious experience and they're gone. So he came last week and I said, did the last week minister to him? Did, you know, did, did, uh, did he make a decision? Did God get through his heart last week? And he said, you know, not that I know of. And he got a call this morning that he had had an aneurysm and he needed to be at the hospital. I said, is he going to live? He said, I don't even know. So I'll let you know after church. So a team of us this morning are praying for this man with this hard heart caused by a church somewhere, or a pastor, or a priest, or a rabbi, or whatever. Some some religious thing happened to turn him off to God. And we don't know if that scab will ever be picked in his life now. You know, unfortunately, I've had some bad spiritual experiences. Two weeks ago I had a bad religious experience. And I'm a pastor, but, but you also need to know, I've caused... Some bad spiritual experiences for others. Because when you're young and when you're immature and you're passionate and you think that the mission is more important than people, you do stupid stuff. There there are people today in this city who won't darken the door of a church and the reason is Christian Newsom, I promise you. Now, I I don't know who they are by name or I would go to them and try to make it right. But I, I just know I've done ministry long enough and wrong enough that I promise you I've done that, and I pray that I never do that to anyone in here. But if I do, here's what you need to understand. You can be turned off at me. You can be turned off at, at our church. But ultimately what happens is people say, well, I just, you know, I don't want to organize religion. I don't want the church. And what happens is eventually they shut out God. Because we see what is sown is not Christians' ministry. What is sown is not JCS ministry. God says, what is sown is what I'm trying to do in their life, and because their heart is hurt, they won't let it in and what what happens is they try to disconnect from religion, but they disconnect from God Bad religious experiences will hurt people's hearts wear and tear from people number two The bible says hurt people's hearts. I mean we live in a world Where things go wrong we live in a world where people don't treat people so right sometimes And in matthew eleven twenty eight, 28 jesus said come to me all you who are weary And carry heavy burdens. And he was speaking specifically to those who had had heavy burdens laid on them by someone else. He said, those of you who are just worn out from people, come to me and I'll give you rest. You know, if we were to be honest, bad religious experiences actually are bad people experiences. I don't know that any, maybe some of us, but most of us don't really blame God or jesus our bad religious experiences are bad people experiences and life experience gives us difficult experiences people some of you have a difficult spouse or a difficult ex-spouse difficult in-laws difficult employee or employers or employees difficult neighbors difficult co-workers you get the point life is filled with people who wear you down and sometimes they wear you down to the point where you just you cover up your heart, you protect it, and you never even think about where you need to go spiritually because you, you're just trying to survive where you are right now. Number three, the, the Scripture says that stress can cause our hearts to stop hearing from God. In 1 Peter 5, 7, I love what Jesus says, is cast your anxiety like the things that cause you to leave sleep at night. Cast them on Him because He cares for you. You know, we think of the word cast like a, like a rod and a reel. And here's how most of us cast Our stress to God, we cast it and then we reel it back and we try to figure it out. This word cast means throw away. It's like skipping a stone. None of us have ever skipped a a stone and waited for it to come back. Right. We skip it. It sinks and we don't ever think about it again. That's what the Bible says you're supposed to do with stress. Give it to God and don't think about it again. But most of us don't do that. There are people in our church who come to our church every week and who hear nothing. Because they're so stressed out about their life. Like they sit here and they're thinking about their job or their money or their marriage or their kids or what they have to do. And there are some people, they love God, but they come here and like their foot is just tapping the whole time. They're clicking their pen a thousand times a minute and they can't wait to leave because they're stressed out about something that's not here and doesn't have anything to do with God. It's not that they're against God. It's just that their heart is not open to God because stress is covering their heart. It's created a path over their heart. Stubbornness is another reason. Number four. I mean, this is just the reality. Some of us aren't growing spiritually because we don't want to. And it's really, you know, we haven't had a bad experience and we're not stressed out. And we're not worn out. We're just, you know, we're just stubborn. It's like, yeah, I know what I need to do spiritually. I don't want to. I don't want to read my Bible. I don't want to pray. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to stop doing those things. I don't want to start giving. They just have a bad attitude. And if that's you, you, you need to ask God, you know, why, why is that bad attitude there? And, and, and can I move it? You, you're like Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. In Exodus 8:32, it says that God tried to speak to Pharaoh and it says, "Pharaoh hardened his heart. It's like he hardened his own heart. It's like, yeah, I hear what God's trying to say, not really into that, so not listening. And then the Bible says that, uh, that sometimes what creates a path on our heart, what keeps God's word from getting on our heart, is sin. And, and, and the truth is some of you in here, like you desperately want to grow, but until you get a specific sinful thing or things out of your life, it's not going to happen. And let me give you an illustration. I was doing something um, that I rarely ever do a few weeks ago. Um, I was loading the dishwasher. Uh, you know, and, and I probably should do it more, but I don't. Um, but Danielle was out of town. She was at a pastor's wife's retreat. And, I, you know, I thought I should do the dishes for her before she comes home. So I, I'm not trained at dishwashing, if that's a thing, you know. So like, I, so I opened the dishwasher, Then there's dishes in there and they, you know, they look clean. So, you know, I pull out the shelves and I start taking all the dishes off the top shelf and I put all the stuff away. And then I grab all the dirty dishes and I start putting them in the top shelf. But I had forgotten to take the clean dishes underneath away. So by the time I got done putting the dirty dishes in the top shelf, all the clean dishes were dirty, too, because I forgot to move them first. And I thought, you know, I'm an idiot and I hate dishwashing and, you know, this is why I don't do this because I don't understand. So I had to wash. Some of you, some of you are getting some top shelf things in your life, right? But you wonder why you're not growing spiritually. It's because the, the few things you're fixing, you have enough sin in your life that when you leave Sunday morning, you go and you do all the garbage that you're still doing and you don't understand that it's getting the spiritual part of your life dirty, too. And it's like every Sunday, the only thing you're trying to do is get clean. You're not trying to move forward. You're just trying to be clean. And until you give up that thing or those things in your life, you're probably not going to grow. Your heart is, is going to sit very, very heavy. And I love what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Peter says, get rid of all evil behavior. Listen, if you're a Christian who wants to grow, get rid of evil behavior. Be done with deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, all your unkind speech, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that you'll grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you've had a taste of the Lord's kindness. Peter's like, listen, you want to grow? Get rid of the garbage in your life. Because if you get rid of the garbage in your life, you can begin to become all God has created you to be. So listen, I, I don't, if you're in here today, and you have a path on your heart that has kept you stagnant, or just staying in the same spot spiritually forever and ever? Did any of you play, you, you guys remember the, name, the the game Mad Libs? That Like you got a notebook and you had like stories with fill-in-the-blank words and it's like, you know, just give a color. You know, and you're like blue. Okay, your favorite food, you know, your shoe size. How old you are? And then you have this crazy story that doesn't make any sense. Hurt hearts are kind of like a game of Mad Libs. Just fill in the blank. I'm not growing because blank has hurt my heart. I'm not growing because blank is in my life. You can fill in your blank and you can begin to move forward today. If, if you'll say this month I'm going to grow and I'm going to get a track of life where I'm just going to keep, I'm going to keep growing. You know, what, what I have found is anytime someone has a callus over their heart and it finally, it finally gets picked. Anytime somebody picks at the scab, um, they wish they would have done it sooner. Like they say, you know, I hate that I wasted a year of my life or three years of my life or five years. I hate that I wasted ten years of my life. You know, I wish I would have just gone through the hurt and picked the scab earlier. And they feel like Jeremiah. I read a verse the other day in Jeremiah that I thought, I I just loved it. But I thought this is what a lot of people feel like who are away from God because of sin or stubbornness or hurt. And they they can't get over those things. When they finally come back to God, I, I believe here's what they feel like. I turned away from God, but then I was sorry. I kicked myself for my stupidity. I was ashamed of all I did in my younger days. It's like when I finally allowed the scab to be pulled off, it was like I thought, why didn't I do that sooner so that I could begin growing? So maybe one of these things has put a path on your heart. Maybe it's something else. But you need to understand if your heart is hurt, there's no growth, no spiritual growth in your life until you deal with that. So what, what cures the path over your heart? What uh, what what lifts that path so that you can begin to grow? And and I want to say this to you today. If if you are here today and your heart isn't hard. Your life probably is or will be last night and and I'll give you this illustration last night. I was mowing my yard and as I was mowing my yard, um, I, I saw a frog that was like just like one step at a time, like a large frog keeping pace in front of my mower. And Christian was out in the yard and I was mowing and he was raking and somehow this, this frog jumped on my patio, got on my screen door or on my like patio sliding door and then wedged himself between the patio door and the screen door and was like stuck. So there's this big frog stuck between my screen door and my glass door. So I stopped the mower and I was like, you know, I yelled, Christian, you know, check out that frog that's stuck. And he went over and he's like, ooh, you know, and anytime you see an animal, you start talking like the crocodile hunter. You're like, you know, let's, let's take a closer look. You know, it's the American froggy frog. You know, I don't know anything about frogs. It's like, you know, here it is. And Christian's like, dad, grab it. You know, and I'm not a real reptile guy, you know. So, you know, I'm thinking, you know, did Steve Irwin, did he get killed by a frog? No, it was a stingray. Okay. You know, I'm okay. So, you know, so like peel the screen back. And, like, I grabbed this frog, you know, know, so I've got this, I mean, like, it's like the size of the palm of my hand. This massive frog in my hand. And there's a bunch of little kids playing next door. And Christian's like, my dad's got a frog! And they, like, all ran over. Like, oh, look at the frog, look at the frog. So, i got to get back to Moan. So I'm like, y'all want to play with the frog? And they're like, yeah. So they take the frog. And this little group of eight, like, most of them little girls, they were all, Christian was the oldest at 11. Most of them were probably 6, 7, 8. They go to this field in, in the back of, of our yard. We back up to kind of a green space and they're like huddled around like they're calling a football play and they're looking at the frog and I'm mowing and the frog jumps and they all, ju- and they all scream, ah! And then they laugh and they go right back over the frog and then the frog jumps and they all scream and they laugh and they go, so I'm mowing and I'm watching this and I'm thinking, man, remember when life used to be fun, carefree, remember when life wasn't hard? Remember when you could just play with a frog and like that was fun, you know, and now you're thinking about how many days till payday, like the cupboard's empty, you're wondering if your marriage is going to make it or maybe your marriage has already failed, you're wondering if you're going to keep your job or maybe you just lost your job, like you're having one of those months where like you go to the gas station and you you pay like in quarters you know, or you've been eating PB&J every night for a week, and your kids are like, you know, Dad, there's mold on the bread. And you're like, yeah, just tear that piece off. It's okay. You know, just, you know, I mean, it's like life is hard. If friends or family members that are sick or dying or away from God, and I watch those kids play with that frog, and I thought, man, I, you know, my heart may not be hard, but my life is. Life is hard. Life as a parent is hard. Life married is hard. And I thought, you know, like sometimes I just want to play with a frog, you know, like, you know, do you ever have that thought? Maybe not a frog, but it's like, you know, I just, like this week, I don't want to go to work, I don't want to answer a call, I don't want to have to pay a bill, I don't want to have to look at my bank account, I don't want to have to deal with my marriage. I don't want to, like, this week, I just want to play with a frog in the backyard, you know? Do you ever have times like that? I do. Like, we have a lot of people in this church that go to our neighborhood. If you ever see me back in the field just laughing. I haven't lost my mind. I'm just playing with a frog. Yeah, you know, it's just been one of those days. You can just pray for me. Christian has lost his mind, and he's laughing at a frog now. Because because life is hard. So even if your heart is not hard, your life is or will be. So man, this this next part of this message is really important because we need to understand how to get the path off our heart when when it's hurt and when hard situations cause it to be in a really bad place. Uh, and instead of instead of just Giving you a, a, a few tips, I want to actually show you a person in the Bible. His name's Elijah. If you have, if you have your Bible, you can go back to more near the front. And in First Kings chapter 19, if you don't have your Bible, to be on the screen. We read his story. Here's a guy who grew up who grew up in a spiritual home, grew up pretty close to God, had some great spiritual experiences, but we come to a point in his life in First Kings chapter 19 where some things have gone wrong. He's really upset with God. He's actually suicidal. Three different times in this chapter, he asked God that that he would be allowed to kill himself or that God would kill him. And God looks at this guy who's got this hurt heart, who's running from God, who's ceasing, who's ceasing to fulfill his purpose for his life. And God says, listen, here's, here's how you work your way back. And I, I want to show you today in First Kings chapter 19, um, in, in the, the story in First Kings chapter 18, uh, and, and I want to preface it by saying this. Elijah had, spent the last, Elijah had spent the last three and a half years of his life alone, all by himself. No friends, no family, just hanging out in the wilderness. Uh, and God said, listen, it's time for you to go confront an evil king. He went and he confronted an evil king, and things went well. This should have been like Elijah's greatest day ever. Like, he would have been tweeting about this, posted it on Facebook. I mean, this was like a good day in his life. But his heart got so low spiritually that we find him... Running from what spiritual life used to be and asking God, God, just kill me. And here's what he says in 1st Kings chapter 19. It says, now Ahab, that's the evil king he confronted, told Jezebel that was his wife. Everything Elijah had done and how he killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I, I don't make your life like that of one of them. Verse 3, Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. And while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush. He sat down under it and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. He said, Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under a bush and he fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals, a jar of water. He ate and he drank, and then he lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him, and said, Get up and eat. For the journey's too much for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank, strengthened by the food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and he he spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said, go out. And stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shuttered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord wasn't in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out. And he stood at the mouth of the cave and the voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Listen, I believe if you were in here today, and your heart is hurt, the first answer for you is you got to go figure out where God is. You got to get real close to Him. But not not yet, Phil. I still got a little ways to go. So Elijah goes to this cave, right, and says, "Like God, I need to hear from you. If I don't hear from you, God, I'm out." And there was a, you know, big earthquake. Nothing. Big tornado, nothing. Big fire, nothing. And then finally God whispers, listen, listen now, real close. He pulls Elijah real close and he says, what? What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing? What? What is so bad You see, God whispered because he had Elijah so close to him. Had Elijah chosen to stay 10 feet, 20 feet, 50 feet, a distance from God, he never would have have heard from God. But when Elijah was willing to finally go to God and say, What is up? Help me out. God said, What? What's going on? Let's fix this. and Elijah and God sit down and they have this conversation where God gives him some real simple instructions it had to move forward spiritually again once he thought it was all over what are those instructions are pretty simple we read them in verses 14 through 18 god whispers to elijah what are you doing here and Elijah says, God, I've been very zealous for the Lord. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They tore down your altars. They put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. Now they want to kill me too. And the Lord said back to him, listen, go back. Just go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. Anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel and Mahola, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death anyone who escapes the sword of Hazel. And Elisha will put to death anyone who escapes the sword of Jehu. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and, and whose mouths have, have not kissed him. If you just read that, you don't hear what God is saying. But when you put the chapter together and you see someone whose heart has been so hurt thinking about giving up spiritually and choosing not to ever let God's message penetrate their heart again. God says, Elijah, four things. Number one, remember. You need to remember that you're still kicking, and I'm the one who has got you this far. Here's the most radical part of this text for me. In verse 5 and in verse 7, God feeds him on his journey in which he's going the wrong way. See, some of you have been going the wrong way in life and you don't realize the only reason you've been allowed to make it this far is because God keeps feeding you to run the wrong direction in hopes that maybe one day you'll get to him and change your mind. If you're sitting here and you can hear my voice today, you're here because God has put air in your lungs and a beat in your heart to keep you alive to hear this message today. God has got you here, not yourself. The angel kicked Elijah. Elijah was supposed to be 500 miles north fighting a war, doing ministry. Instead, he's running, and the angel kicks him. He says, get up and eat. If you're running from God, you might as well at least have energy to do it well. Get up and eat. So Elijah eats and runs a little further. Then he kicks him again. Listen, if you're still going to be running from God, you might as well get there one day. So he feeds him again. You need to remember, the only reason you're here today is because God has been gracious to you. And he wants to heal your heart. So that you can begin to grow spiritually again. In Jeremiah ten twenty four, I love what Jeremiah says after he's been away from God. When when your heart begins to soften, every one of us will say this. Here's what Jeremiah says when he knows he's been away from God and he needs to come back to God. Jeremiah says, Correct me, Lord, but please be gentle. Oh man, like that is an awesome verse. Correct me, Lord, but be gentle. Don't correct me in anger, for I would die. I realize so much of my life I've been wrong, running the wrong direction, yet you've been so good to me. So, like, I'm sorry, and I need you to forgive me, but don't punish me. What a great prayer. In Romans 5, 8, the Bible says God showed his great love for us by sending His sending Christ to die for us while, while we were still sinners, while we were still running the wrong way. God's making sure we've got enough daily bread to get the wrong way. I kind of picture God on a track, like a like an oval track, and we're running the wrong way in every lap. You know, it's like God's like, are you finished running the wrong way? Or we're like, no. We're like, okay, here's a bottle of water. And then we get around again. And like, are you finished running the wrong way? No. Okay, well, here's a gel pack. And it's like God is sustaining us so that one day we'll get to him and say, okay, I'm ready to turn it around. And it's like, finally. Thank God for the second chance and the thousandth chance and the millionth chance Remember, if you're here today, it's only because God still loves you and he wants to get your heart's attention. Number two, return. God told Elijah, you've got to go back to where you used to be. I, I love the text says that Elijah ran for his life. Elijah didn't run for his life. Elijah ran from his life. God said, go there, do this. And Elijah said, no. And he ran from what God had called him to do. And God had to get his attention. God had to get it real quiet in the mind of Elijah. So that he could speak to his heart. Listen, you, you need to write this down and you need to hear this clearly. If God can't get into your head, then he can't remove the path from your heart. If he can't get into your head and communicate to you, then he can't get the path off your heart. But if, but if, but if he can speak to you, what are you doing here? Like, how in the world did you get to this point In life, if you can have a conversation, you can head back the right direction. Number three, re-engage. God told Elijah, listen, I've called you to do something. I need you to do that. We've established God has called all of us to grow spiritually. And at the end of the message, I'm going to give you two ways to do that. This week that you can begin to grow spiritually and then number four and maybe this is one of the keys to the To the entire hurt heart God told elijah remember relationships are key Like relationships are key elijah's big complaint and I need you to hear this if you are a young single If you're a young, if you're a single adult, if you're a divorced adult, if you're a recent empty nester, if you've just moved to town and your network of family and friends is distant, hear this. Elijah's biggest complaint before God, listen, was, I am all alone. I don't have any friends. Three times he said to God, I'm all alone. I don't have any friends. So God specifically gives him the name of four people who says, these guys will be your friends. They they will help you. And I met with two different people this week that both through tears just said, I'm lonely I meet with folks who have who've been recently divorced and folks who have been divorced for 20 plus years who said, I'm all alone. I talk to empty nesters who were best friends with their kids who are now at college and they're saying, I'm all alone. I, I hear from wives and from husbands who aren't engaged well in their marriages say, I feel all alone. I, I hear from students whose parents aren't Christians and they're trying to do this Christianity thing themselves. say, I'm, I'm all alone and God says, remember, remember relationships are key. If the, path, if, if the path is going to be removed, if the scab is going to get torn, relationships are key. And I love Ecclesiastes 4 9 through 12 that tell us how hard life is, to, life is to live by ourselves. Two are better than one. Because two people have a good return for their label. If either of them falls, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and doesn't have anyone to help them up, pity someone who's lonely. Also, if two lie down together, they keep one warm, but how can one keep warm alone? The one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Listen, the worst thing in the world for a hurt heart is isolation from others. But so often, that's the first thing we do. We go isolate ourselves. Listen, man, if you're like Elijah today, maybe a great spiritual pastor, maybe no spiritual past, but you're kind of running from God today, your heart is hurt for one reason or another, Remember, God still loves you and He has put breath in your lungs today. Return to what God has called you to do. Start living for Him again. Start growing again. Re-engage with some kind of ministry that God has called you to do. And remember that relationships are key. Say, Christian, what, what two things can I do to grow this week? I want to grow. I want, to grow. I want to start growing this week. I'm, I'm sick of being the same person for my whole life, just going to try. I want to grow. What two things can I do? I put this on the bottom of your sermon notes. What two things can you do to grow? Number one, go to a small group this week. I love a verse in Proverbs It says, to have friends, you've got to be friendly. It's like, I don't have any friends. Well, when's the last time you went and hung out with someone? Well, I, I don't like people. It's like, oh, well, there you go. I have just figured you out. You can give me $100, you don't have to go see your counselor now. I mean, you know, that's easy, right? To to have friends, you've got to be friendly. Go to a small group this week. Say, man, I am really busy. Cancel what you have going on. I'm talking about spiritual growth. Delay it. Wait a week to write the paper or to go do groceries or to mow the grass. Go to a small group this week. Begin to make friends. And secondly, begin reading your Bible this week. Say, like, I don't know how to do that. Here's what I want you to do. I put together four books of the Bible that if you read five chapters a week, which you could do today in 10 minutes, or you could read one chapter a day for five days this week. If you read five chapters a week from now through the end of the year, by the end of the year, you could have read the books of Mark and John, which are the two stories of Jesus. It'll teach you a lot about Jesus. You read the book of Acts, which is a story about the church and how it started. And you could read the book of James, which was written by Jesus half brother that tells you how to be a good Christian. You see, if you will, the Bible says if you'll return to God, he'll return to you. The Bible says if you'll come near to God, he'll come near to you. It's like a magnetism. If you take a step forward, God takes a step forward. But you've got to take a step forward. You've got to begin moving towards your next step so that in our church, you don't just come to church, but you're growing spiritually. Man, I want you to grow. Like it's deep in my heart that I want you to grow. Let's pray together. Heavenly father, I come to you in Jesus name this morning And god this series has been so heavy on my heart for months and this message so heavy on my heart for months and I tried to just cut and cut and cut and And eliminate half this message and I couldn't do it and god i've gone over and I, I get all those things But god today, I believe there are some people in here today. The reason they are not growing Is because they have a path over their heart That's been laid there by a bad experience That's been laid there by somebody walking over top of them day after day, year after year, decade after decade. That's been laid there maybe by their own stubbornness or their own sin. That's been laid there by the extreme stress that they live in. And God, every seed you ever throw towards them spiritually never even makes it into their heart because it's it's hurt. It's got a path over it. And God, I think about Elijah who had to come so near to you that he could hear you whispering. And I see the answer for us. We've got to return to God. We've got to remember who you are and how you've sustained us, how good you've been to us. Like Jeremiah, we say, oh God, I'm so sorry, but like, please be gentle. But help me to move forward. With every head bowed and every eye closed in this room today, if you were in here today and, and you, you would be honest enough to say, Christian, I believe... Probably my spiritual growth has been stunted because my heart has been hurt. And I know I need God, but I, my heart is hurt. Would you pray for me? I just want you, just all over this auditorium, I just want to pray for you. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. But If you're in here and you've had trouble growing spiritually because your heart is, has been hurt, would you just raise your hand so that I can pray for you this morning? Just right now, raise it up. All There's a lot of people raising their hands. Nobody should be looking around, but it won't be a big deal. God, I pray for these who have their hands up and you can put them down. Lord, people who would be honest enough to say, I'm probably not where I need to be spiritually because my heart has been hurt. God, help them today to be willing to pick the scab so that they can move forward and begin to bleed just a little bit so that health can come. And God, I pray for those of us in here who have a husband or a wife or kids or parents or a brother or a sister or a neighbor or a co-worker. I pray for all of us who know someone whose heart has been hurt, hardened by the things of life. And I pray that you'll show us better how to minister to them because of what we learn. And God, I pray for everyone in our church that as we begin this new year of our church, year two, that we will all begin to grow and take our next steps spiritually to grow. Lord, that's our prayer. That's our goal. That's our focus. So God, in Jesus' name, I pray that you'll help us to achieve that. And again, we ask that in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Now, here's what I want you to do before you move. And I realize I'm late, and I apologize. I try to never preach this long, especially during football season. but I...